Good morning. Good to be back with you after traveling 2,300 miles in 11 days and moving our kids to one of our kids from St. Louis to Knoxville and visiting our family in Virginia. So I've actually slept in uh, five states or four or five states in the last uh, two weeks. Uh, somebody asked me how was my vacation. Uh, if you call that a vacation, then uh, yeah, it was great. Okay. And it's something you do when you're a parent. So that's uh, part of the deal. Um, today we start a new series, and I want to talk, start it off today talking about some of the things, lessons that we learn early in life. And one of the lessons I learned early in life uh, was, I don't know about you guys, but when I grew up, I grew up in a family that had a lot of rules. Did y'all have a lot of rules in your family? Uh, they weren't necessarily just rules to keep me protected. Some of it was rules about certain words you didn't say, like we couldn't say the word darn because it was closer to another word, and so we had a rule kind of that. We had, my mom said, you know, if you say it too often, you'll, you'll be punished. We didn't know for a long time what that meant, Till one day my sister, who kept saying that word over and over, plus some other words as well, uh, they came and she said, well, if you say it one more time, we're going to wash your mouth out with soap. Now, I've never seen that happen before, but I discovered what it meant that day, because when that, that day happened, I have, I'm the oldest of, of four kids, three younger sisters, and for some reason, uh, my second, my first oldest sibling besides myself, my sister, she was always the one who was getting in trouble. She, was, she just didn't know how to filter anything in her life. And uh, she would do that. So she got her w- mouth washed out with soap. And I went in to watch to see what it looked like. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that happen before. I don't know how, you, you know, I didn't know how it was going to happen. You take a wash rag and put soap on it and put it in your mouth. Do what you do. Mom took a toothbrush and just, you know, did it really good on the soap, and then stuck it, and brushed her teeth with soap. I it was pretty nasty, but my, my, my sister was gagging, and all kind of stuff was going on. For some reason, though, it didn't really stop her from saying words uh, that were bad. Uh, now, I was different. I learned quickly. I don't know if I was smarter than she was, or just not as hard-headed as she was, but I remember in school, when I was in elementary school, uh, in first grade, we had some kids, every day, I don't know, it was one of those rooms where you have a water fountain in the bathroom in the room, I don't know if they still have those or not. I don't know if it works in elementary school or not. But that's how it used to be. And uh, so uh, every day before we, uh, after we'd come back from recess, uh, we would uh, come in and we'd all line up at the water fountain. And as we walked, lined up the water fountain, we'd all take our turn getting water. And there's this one kid who kept picking on me, and he would do, do shove, you know, first grade stuff and things like that. And I decided I was going to get back at him. So he got up, and I was right behind him in the water fountain. And as he got up to take a drink of water, I held his head down in the water fountain and turned it on. Um, I found out you get in trouble. Uh, I got sent to the principal's office first time, not the last time that it happened, but the uh, first time ever in school. But I learned that if you do that, what's going to happen is you get sent to the principal's office, and, you, and in those days, you didn't get ice cream. Uh, you know, you got sent to the principal's office, it was a bad deal. Uh, in second grade, I learned uh, some lessons, too. We had a teacher, I'll never forget her name, Mrs. Wyatt. Uh, I'm sure she's been dead for a number of years because she was 100 years old when she taught me in second grade. But uh, Mrs. Wyatt would walk around, and she had a meter stick, not a yardstick, a meter stick. You know what I'm talking about? It's those big, thick jobs, you know. And she'd walk around the room, and if, I don't know, you'd probably get in trouble now and get sued nowadays if you did this, but she'd walk around the room if you were out of, you know, she was talking and walking around the room. And if you did something wrong, she would whack you on the shoulder with the meter stick. Uh, after a few bruises on my shoulders, after a while, I learned not to talk in class, not to do those things because of those, the pain and the consequences that went on. And so we learn all these things. They, these are really early lessons in behavior modification that we learn in, in life. And as children, we are taught to monitor our behavior, are we not? Uh, we, we're taught to behave. Don't we tell our kids, you need to behave. Um, 
And, and, if, and if we behaved, bad things didn't happen, or at least maybe, hopefully good things happened. Uh, but the, it really didn't have anything to do with what was going on inside. I know one of the guys in our small group, Bill, yesterday, I don't remember the exact story, but, uh, but talking about the kid who was parents, uh, um, parents told him to, to, uh, to sit down and to be quiet. And he sat down and be quiet, but he looked at his mom and dad and he says, I'm still standing up in my head. <laughs> you know, it, you know he, he behaved, he did the right thing, but in inside he was still doing the wrong thing because it was his motivation, his heart. You know, and, and so in life we learned if we misbehaved, not so good things happened. And, and my parents even believed in spanking in those days, you know. I remember sometimes, uh, and this is how it worked in my household, if we did something wrong, it wasn't very much. I only remember two spankings my whole life. Like I said, I learned pretty quickly. But if we were spanked in my household when you were a young child, you had to go outside and pick your own switch. You know, and, and I would go out and find the, you know, I didn't realize this the first time I did. I went out and found this kind of wimpy looking stick, and it was worse than, you know, getting a log or something and, and doing it. So, you know, I, that was one of the things that happened. I knew my parents, uh, uh, they got my attention early on. I, I modified my, my behavior to avoid pain, and, and I've been doing that ever since. And probably you have too. I mean, but it's not just the avoidance of pain that drives us, good behavior can also be rewarding. You know that? Good behavior can be rewarding. I mean, as a professional Christian, I'm a professional Christian, you know that? You know, I work for a living as a Christian, you know? And, and, and a, I, I'm a pastor by trade. I'm, in, in a real sense, I'm paid to be good. You're just good for nothing. You know, I'm paid to be good. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the deal. But the, the issue is, uh, I've learned to modify my words and my behavior so as not to damage my reputation and my career. Uh, even though sometimes I've probably wished I'd like to have said some things, I've learned to modify my behavior in certain situations. And all of you do the same thing. You know that you do certain things or you say certain things in the context of your job or your career, you can get in trouble. And so what you do is you modify your behavior regardless of what you're thinking in your head. And perhaps there's some words and phrases you won't use in spite of the fact that they would actually convey what you're feeling. And I'll bet that there's some uh, people you pretend to like because it's beneficial to you. You modify your behavior in all those ways. After all, you know, uh, we do that. You know why we we do that? Because everybody's got to live and and eat indoors. Um, We don't want to, you know, we want to have a job. We want to keep going on in life. We want to get along with people. So it seems like what happens in life so often, and we learn this early on, that as long as you say the right thing and you do the right thing, we're tempted to believe that all is well. That's what we're tempted to believe. That's what your childhood experience teaches you. Behavior equals everything is all right. But when your public performance becomes too far removed from what's going on inside of your heart, then we're set up for trouble. That's what we're going to talk about in a series. Eventually, your heart, the real you, will outpace your attempts to monitor and modify everything you say and do. And these unresolved issues that are stirring up inside of you undetected to your, will, will work its way to the surface. Specifically, uh, they'll seep into your actions and your character uh, as, they, as you go through life. And the heart is so often something that's really hard to describe because it's something that philosophers and poets and pastors talk about all the time, the heart. And I'm going to talk about the physical heart. It's this, this part of us that, uh, that gets broken in the ninth grade when that little girl says no 
It's that part of us that, that swells up with pride when our kids do something, you know, like uh, probably this weekend, a bunch of you gone to the performance over at the high school and seen that, and, you're, and I've seen all the Facebook posts, and my kid did a great job, as if your kid was the only one in the play. You know, but you swell up with pride in your heart, right? That's part of, part of life. Uh, and and it's, it's that thing that gets nostalgic. The heart is that thing that gets nostalgic when you hear, hear an old Journey tune. You know what I'm talking about? If you were from that era, or whatever era it was that you were listening to music, whatever that was your senior year in high school, when you hear that tune, all of a sudden you can sing along to it, you know it, you know. It's, it's just that kind of thing. That's what the heart is. But the question we're going to be talking about in this series is not about so much our behavior. But the question is this, how is your heart? How is your heart? Because that's the question that Jesus asked. That's the question that the wisest man in all of history asked. He said, it's not about just your behavior, it's about your heart. And we soon learned that monitoring our behavior is not enough if we live life very long. And Jesus addressed this in, in a really strange context. In Matthew chapter 15, he's in this process of talking to these religious leaders. And as he's talking to these religious leaders, what he does, in the midst of this conversation about something that seems totally unrelated, he throws this out. These two verses in verse 18 and 19, he says this, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And you're going, what? You know, you know when I first read that, I'm going like, really? Really? You know, I mean, have you ever said, no, I didn't really mean to say that. I'm sure you've never said that, right? You know, that's not me. But you know what Jesus is saying in this verse? He's saying, if it comes out of your mouth, it's exactly where it comes from. He's saying, your mouth is a megaphone. It's actually like a stethoscope looking inside your heart. He's saying that what a person, you can tell what a person's heart is like by listening to what comes out of their mouth. And, and when we slip and let our guard down and we say, that's not like me, it really is, our filter is just not working real well. Because what happens during life, we, we develop these filters to filter the words that come out of our mouth so we, people won't really think wrongly of us or think something about us. And, and at this point in the sermon, sermon I just want to say this. I'm going to give you a warning for those who are engaged. Um, <clears throat> the reality is, is when you're going through an engagement period with somebody, your filters are super high, right? You know what I'm talking about. Those are married I mean, you're super high. You're making sure you say all the right things and you do all the right things and your actions are something way. And then after, I've heard this a thousand times and we've probably all said it somewhere. They're not the person, a few years down the road, maybe not even a few years, a few months down the road, this is not the person I married. Heard that a hundred times. You know why? Because in the context of a marriage, day-to-day situation, what happens is our filters slip. And stuff starts coming out of our mouth and we're going like, I didn't hear that when we were engaged. And so the reality is, is that we have need to understand that uh, what, what Jesus is saying, and he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. Then a little bit later in the next verse, he says this. He goes even further. He says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Really, Jesus, come on. No, my evil thoughts come out of my head, right? That's where they come from, not, not out of my heart. But he says in the context of the situation, Jesus says, no, your evil thoughts come from your heart. There is something, when it comes out of your mouth, there's something evil in your heart. And, and you're thinking, well, no, I just have, I just have evil thoughts, and, and I just say, 
and so what I just say to myself, I shouldn't think about that, so I monitor those things, and I put a filter on it, and I put a filter on my thinking. But Jesus says, that might be true, but the evil thoughts come from your heart because you have an evil heart. And you look at him and you're, saying, and you're, you're having this conversation with Jesus. I've had this conversation with Jesus. You know, and you say, well, I don't have an evil heart because I'm a good person. My mama told me all the time growing up, he's a good boy. You know what Jesus would say? Jesus would say, well, you're, what your mama said was wrong because you're an evil boy. When you got stuff coming out of your heart, and all of us, we have to admit, we're all sinners in need of God's grace, and so we all have a certain amount of evil in our life, and we have to monitor those things in our life. Jesus would say, yeah, the thing is, you just got a pretty sophisticated filter going on there, but if your mind is constantly filled with evil thoughts, thoughts that you never express, you have a heart problem. Now, then he says this, the rest of that verse, he says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder. Murder comes out of the heart, yes. Murder, you know, the interesting thing about murder, I, I, I watch TV, y'all, y'all watch TV, you know? Murder, uh, cop shows, CSI, all these things. Who's the first person they got to look for when they have a murder? Family members. Most murders are performed by family members. You go, how does that happen? Because there's something evil in the heart, something, something we're going to talk about, some things that go on in our hearts that can lead us to all kinds of things. Murder, adultery. He says adultery comes from the heart. Matter of fact, when Jesus was teaching on the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or actually not the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about different things. He says things like in verse 21 of chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it said to people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But he says this, when he says this, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Then a little bit further on in verse 27, he said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Then he uses the almost exact same verbiage he uses somewhere else. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed the adultery with her, where? In his heart. In his heart. Not in his head. In his heart. So what it's talking about here, this imagery, is that the heart is the center of our emotions, the place where our motivations lie. But all of our life, the thing is, is we're, learned, we're told, we're taught to filter our behavior. We're taught to, uh, not to, to, to monitor some things, but we're never taught to monitor our heart. And the thing we have to understand is that we need to learn to monitor our heart because the words that are, are simply not bad manners, the words that, that come out of our life and come out of our mouth are a reflection of something that's going on in our heart. And in one day, in a weak moment, our filter doesn't work and the true condition comes out. And because, because until you learn to monitor your heart, you're just treating the symptoms and not the problem. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like this in, in, in a physical heart. Get this thing to work. At, what happens after I go away for a couple of weeks, somebody else uses the mic, and it won't stay on my ear anymore. There we go. Okay. It's good. The reality is this. It's kind of like this. Uh, if you have a heart problem, cardiologists use a uh, procedure called an arteriogram. Maybe some of you have had that, an arteriogram. They use it to diagnose the, heart, the health of a patient's heart. An arteriogram is an x-ray of the arteries taken after dye is injected into the bloodstream. I've seen these taken before. Uh, the dye allows doctors to pinpoint blockage in the arteries that serve as conduits carrying blood uh, from the heart. And if blockage is discovered, a, cardio- a skilled cardiologist is able to insert something called a stent in, into the artery, uh, in a patient's, through a patient's leg, navigate it up to the heart. It's an amazing procedure. Uh, and, and open up the blood vessel so that the blood can uh, flow again freely. 
uh, and, and there's damaged regions of the heart. And it's an amazing procedure to watch on video. I had the opportunity a couple times to actually do that, to watch as that was done. You could actually see the dye making its way up through the, uh, through the uh, arteries and then stopping when it reaches an area that's blocked. Even me, with an untrained eye, could figure out when the doctor said, hey, that's it. Yeah, that's it. You can see what's going on there. It's obvious. But apart from an arteriogram, often what happens, a life-threatening heart problem can go undetected for years. Because an individual who has a blockage will experience symptoms that may or may not be related directly to the heart problem. Symptoms uh, like arterial blockage can manifest itself through back pain, inability to sleep, anxiety, loss of appetite, indigestion, nausea, vision change, even loss of memory. Now, what were we talking about? (laughs) Oh, yes, okay. All these symptoms can be and are often treated as isolated issues. They're treated as isolated issues unrelated to the health of the heart. And the right medication can take the edge off of many of these symptoms. But the problem, of course, is that they're treating the symptoms instead of treating the problem. And the worst thing about it, when they treat the symptoms without treating the problem, it delays treatment of the problem, thus leaving the problem to to become worse and worse and worse. As in the case of a physical heart, eventually the root problem will become a real problem. And just as a heart attack has the potential to destroy your body, a spiritual heart disease has the potential to destroy you and squeeze the life out of your most valuable relationships. That's what we need to talk about this over the next few weeks. We need to talk about how can we monitor our hearts. Not only does Jesus talk about the heart, but also the God that was considered in the Bible the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, who, who wrote about everything. If you read, uh, if you read Proverbs, if you, you can read about all the things that he wrote about, tons and tons of stuff, about everyday life and about relationships and about managing your resources and about all these different things. He wrote about all these things. He says this in Proverbs 4.23. He says, above all else. You know what that means? Listen. I've written about a lot of stuff, but above all those things, above all else, he said, here's the number one thing you need to do. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Solomon says, if this is the only thing you ever hear me say, listen to this, your heart is the center of all of you. Everything in your life emanates from your heart. Love love comes from your heart. Uh, You parent from your heart. You, you lead from your heart. You manage your money from your heart. You conduct relationships from your heart. Your words, your actions, your attitudes spring from your heart. And so he gives us the command, guard your heart. Guard means to watch what goes in and comes out. He says, be careful about what goes into a place and keep your eye on what is coming out. And Solomon gives instruction in so many practical areas of life. But he says, beyond all these things, above and beyond all these things, the number one thing we need to learn to do is to guard our heart. Now, let's face it. How many of you have ever had a lesson in how to guard your heart? You've probably had lots of lessons over the years on how to behave. Right? We're taught that all the time growing up. Behave, 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 behave. And I'm not saying behavior is wrong. Behavior is just dealing with a symptom. It's not dealing with the problem. 
No one is ever trained to specifically, here's how you guard your heart. This is, this is how you will know if something bad is about to enter. And here's how you know that if, if, that if, uh, if, if you're ticked off, uh, something's going to come out. Nobody ever taught us that. We were just taught to edit our behavior. But the wisest man in the world said that anything else, above everything else, you need to learn to guard your heart. And so how do we do that? We need to ask, we need to be self-aware enough to push back from an issue and ask ourselves, what's going on here? Is this a heart issue? Is this something that I respond to in the wrong way because of what's in my heart? Or is this something that's exterior? We have to learn to say that. We have to learn that what's in here is hugely important. So in the next few weeks, this is introductory week, okay? This is week one, introductory week. In the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how do you guard your heart? Because the Bible talks about it in very specific terms. I'm going to deal with four, <coughs> excuse me, four primary enemies of the heart. That's what we call this series, Enemies of the Heart. We're going to deal with four primary enemies of the heart. And those four primary enemies of the heart are guilt, jealousy, greed, and anger. And as we deal with these four enemies over the next four weeks, um, we're going to understand that how these, these four things can become lodged in our heart for various reasons. And how each of these has the potential to erode our relationships, our character, and even our faith. And then what I want to challenge you in this series is not just identifying the four areas, but it's what I want to challenge you in this series is this. I want to challenge you to embrace four new habits of the heart that will, habits that are designed to exercise the heart and allow it to maintain the rhythm for which it was designed. And each of these habits specifically addresses one of the four maladies that infect your heart. And three of the four habits are things you probably sound familiar, but the fourth one may be new to you. And I want to say this, when applied consistently, these four biblical disciplines will bring wholeness and healing to your heart regardless of the condition of it. And actually, there's some evidence to suggest that these habits can positively impact your physical health as well. So that's a good side benefit. Spiritually and physically, it could affect you. And incredibly, relationally, it's probably the, the one area that can affect you the most. And personally, I believe these habits have the potential to change everything. But as we do that, I'm going to give you a warning. <laughs> I want to give you a warning. Um, throughout the series, we're going to have what I call this dynamic that's going to go on in the context of these habits of the heart. Where we're going to find ourselves in, and it's this dynamic that we're going to have some pushback from these. And let me give you an illustration. For instance, one of the habits of the heart we're going to talk about is greed. I thought I'd talk about that this morning just, just briefly because nobody, I've never heard anybody said I'm greedy. Never had one person in my life ever said, I'm a greedy person. I've heard people say I'm angry. People say I'm jealous. People say I'm guilty. Never, but no one's ever said I'm, I'm, I'm a greedy. No one. We just say I'm careful. That's kind of what we say. I'm just careful with my money. I'm not greedy. But so, so, so I thought I'd be careful with this. But you know what? The, one of the habits, and we'll talk about this in detail, about how do you break the, the pattern of greed in your life? Learn to be a giver. You become a giver. The Bible says that. I cannot tell you how many times. So basically, one of the things you'll do if you're a greedy person is you need to write a check. 
And you're going like, well, you know, but I, I've heard people say, well, I can't do that because, and I, I, this is hypothetical, of course, because everybody hear everybody say they're greedy. Uh, somebody say, well, write a check. Well, they'll say, well, I can't write a check because I'm greedy. God, give me, change my heart so that I won't be greedy anymore. And God will say, no, start giving. And that will it'll work through your life to help you to become a person who is not greedy anymore. And that's the dynamic. Let me get, it's, it's like the guy who goes to the doctor and he gets a physical and he sends him to a cardiologist and, and he says to the guy, you're, you're on the verge of major problems, but I believe that we can head it off without major surgery. You ever heard that before? I've heard that numerous times. And then, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. We don't have to have major surgery. You're going to have major problems unless you do what I tell you. This is what you need to do to fix your heart. He said, what I want to do is I'm going to put you on a strict diet and an exercise program. Reasonable enough, right? And if you will stick on this diet and exercise program, I believe that we can get your heart in shape. But I've also heard the reply many times because people will say this. The guy looks at the doctor and says, well, doctor, I can't exercise because my heart's not working right. You know, the doctor says, well, when you, when, he says, when I exercise, I get tired. And if I go on that diet, I'm going to be hungry all the time. Doctor, I need you to fix my heart and then I can exercise and then I can be more consistent in my eating habits. God, please fix, I mean, doctor, please fix my heart. And doctor says, no, 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 no. Exercise and diet is how we fix your heart. And the guy says, you don't understand. Exercise makes me sweat. And I become so tired. And I look silly in those exercise outfits because I'm so overweight. So please fix my heart. And so so I will be able to exercise and be more disciplined in my diet. Because I see people that do those things. And I want to be just like them. And the doctor shakes his head and puts his... He goes, no, you don't understand. Do the exercise. You understand the dynamic here? This pushback that we have. And I want to tell you, every one of these, every one of these habits of the heart, you will have the same kind of pushback. Because you'll, you know, I cannot tell you this, uh, it, it kind of goes that way, but in every one of those habits, there's this pushback that will make you say, this is just not how I am. This is just too hard for me. And if I could pray a prayer and God would fix my heart, I would pray the prayer. And, and I've had people say, you know, God would. God wants me to, I mean, I, I mean, I have my friends, my family, my spouse want me to change, wants me to have a changed heart. And I'll pray the prayer or whatever, but they won't do what it takes to make the heart change, the habits of the heart. As we open God's word over the next few weeks and we gain insight into how that happens, there may be for you a tendency to say these things. The reason I can't do this is because that is what is in my heart. But God says that by doing the habits of the heart, these things that he wants you to, to, to practice and to put, put into your life, he says, your heart will change. And if that sounds too good to be true, that you could have a changed heart, let me remind you of a declaration that God made generations ago, uh, and it's still true today, and it's extraordinarily relevant today. He claimed that he would give a man and a woman a new heart. Back in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, this is what he says. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, which is a description of his heart that is hardened, and I will give you a heart of flesh. The interesting thing about that verse is that he said it to people who already had God's list of top 10 behaviors. Remember that, called the Ten Commandments? Just recently, they had gotten them. 
But it clearly wasn't enough for them to know what to do. They needed to change from the inside out. And each of them needed, as we need, to drop the personal, the public persona and become one whole and healthy person, not just look good on the outside. Image is not everything without the, the, the inside reflecting what's on the outside. What we need is a heart that can keep pace with our outward obedience. For many of us, this is great news because you thought being a Christian, for many of you, you thought being a Christian is about behavior, right? You think, well, you know, if, if I'm a Christian, it means that I have to behave. I can't, now, that's part of it, okay? I'm not saying that you don't act a certain way. But it's not about behavior. It's about God taking and changing you from the inside out that your motivations become new. And it matches what's on the outside. So this morning, as we start this series and as we end this first session this morning, I want to do something. I want us to have a heart exam. Not a physical heart exam. You might need one of those too, but go to your doctor for that one. I want you to do something for me this morning. We're just going to have a heart exam, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going home. We're not going to sing anymore. We're not going to do any of that, okay? I just want you to spend a few moments quietly reflecting upon a few questions that, that I want to ask you. And it's something that I've done with kids before. It's something that I do at other times in my own life. But I want you to just close your eyes right now where you are. Just bow your head, close your eyes. And let me ask you a few questions. What... Number one, what is the state of your heart? And here's how to determine that. Here's some questions. Are you mad at anybody? Have you had any extended imaginary conversations lately? Is there anything going on in your life that you hope nobody discovers? Do the things that come out of your mouth on a regular basis, is there anything that comes out of your mouth on a regular basis that you have to apologize for? Is there a question you hope nobody asks you? Have you secretly celebrated someone's failure in the past several days? Have you lied recently to someone you love? These are just a few of the questions that we can ask ourselves to determine the condition of our heart. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.